Homily 10 of Homilies of St. John Chrysostom on 1 Corinthians. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Homily 10, 1 Corinthians 3, 18 and 19. Let no man deceive himself. If any man seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool, that he may be wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. As I said before, having launched out before the proper time, into accusation of the fornicator, and having half opened it obscurely in a few words, and made the man's conscience to quail, he hastens again to the battle with heathen wisdom, and to his accusations of those who are puffed up therewith, and who are dividing the church, in order that having added what remained, and having completed the whole topic with accuracy, he might thenceforth suffer his tongue to be carried away with vehement impulse, against that unclean person. Having had but a preliminary skirmishing with him in what he had said before, for this, let no man deceive himself, is the expression of one aiming chiefly at him and quelling him beforehand by fear. And the saying about the stubble suits best with one hinting at him. And so does the phrase, know ye not that ye are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. For these two things are most apt to withdraw us from sin, when in one mind we realize the punishment appointed for the sin, and when we reckon up the amount of our true dignity. By bringing forward, then, the hay and the stubble, he terrifies. But by speaking of the dignity of that noble birth, which was theirs, he puts them to shame, by the former striving to amend the more insensible kind, by the latter the more considerate. Let no man deceive himself. If any man seemeth to be wise in this world, let him become a fool. As he bids one become, as it were, dead unto the world, and this deadness harms not at all, but rather profits, being made a cause of life, so also he bids him become foolish unto this world, introducing to us hereby the true wisdom. Now he becomes a fool unto the world, who slights the wisdom from without, and is persuaded that it contributes nothing towards his comprehension of the faith. As then that poverty which is according to God is the cause of wealth and lowliness, of exaltation and to despise glory, is the cause of glory, so also the becoming a fool maketh a man wiser than all. For all with us goes by contraries. Further, why said he not, let him put off wisdom, but let him become a fool, that he might most exceedingly disparage the heathen instruction? For it was not the same thing to say, lay aside thy wisdom and become a fool, and besides, he is also training people not to be ashamed at the want of refinement among us, for he quite laughs to scorn all heathen things, and for the same sort of reason he shrinks not from the names, trusting as he does to the power of the things which he speaks of. Wherefore, as the cross, though counted ignominious, became the author of innumerable blessings, and the foundation and root of glory unspeakable, so also that which was accounted to be foolishness became unto us the cause of wisdom. For as he who hath learned anything ill, 
unless he put away the whole and make his soul level and clear, and so offer it to him who is to write on it, will know no wholesome truth for certain, so also in regard of the wisdom from without. Unless thou turn out the whole, and sweep thy mind clear, and like one that is ignorant yield up thyself unto the faith, thou wilt know accurately nothing excellent. For so those also who see imperfectly, if they will not shut their eyes, commit themselves unto others, and will be trusting their own matters to their own faulty eyesight, they will commit many more mistakes than those who see not. But how, you will say, are men to put off this wisdom by their not acting on its precepts? Then seeing that he bade men so urgently withdraw themselves from it, he adds the cause, saying, For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, for not only it contributes nothing, but even hinders. We must then withdraw ourselves from it as doing harm. Dost thou mark with what a high hand he carries off the spoils of victory, having proved that so far from profiting us at all, it is even an opponent? And he is not content with his own arguments, but he has also adduced testimony again, saying, For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. By craftiness, i.e., by their own arms, getting the better of them, foreseeing that they made use of their wisdom to the doing away of all need of God. By it, and no other thing, he refuted them, showing that they are especially in need of God. How and by what method? Because, having by it become fools, by it, as was meet, they were taken. For they who supposed that they needed not God were reduced to so great a strait as to appear inferior to fishermen and unlettered persons, and from that time forth to be unable to do without them. Wherefore he saith, In their own craftiness he took them. For the saying, I will destroy their wisdom, was spoken in regard to its introducing nothing useful. But this, who taketh the wise in their own craftiness, with a view of showing the power of God. Next he declares also the mode in which God took them adding another testimony. Verse 20. For the Lord, saith he, knoweth the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain. Now when the wisdom which is boundless pronounces this edict concerning them, and declares them to be such, what other proof dost thou seek of their extreme folly? For men's judgment, it is true, in many instances fail. But the decree of God is unexceptionable and uncorrupt in every case. Thus having set up so splendid a trophy of the judgment from on high, he employs in what follows a certain vehemence of style, turning it against those who were under his ministry, and speaking thus, verse 21, Wherefore, let no man glory in human things, for all things are yours. He comes again to the former topic, pointing out that not even for their spiritual things ought they to be high-minded, as having nothing of themselves, since then the wisdom from without is hurtful, and the spiritual gifts were not given by you. What hast thou therein to boast? And in regard to the wisdom from without, let no man deceive himself, saith he, because they were conceited about a thing which in truth did more harm than good. But here, inasmuch as the thing spoken of was really advantageous, 
let no man glory, and he orders his speech more gently, for all things are yours. Verse 22. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours, and ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. For because he had handled them sharply, he refreshes them again. And as above he had said, we are fellow workers with God, and by many other expressions had soothed them. So here too he saith, all things are yours, taking down the pride of the teachers, and signifying that so far from bestowing any favor on them, they themselves ought to be grateful to the others, since for their sake they were made such as they were, yea, moreover, had received grace. But seeing that these also were sure to boast, on this account he cuts out beforehand this disease too, saying, As God give to every man, and God give the increase to the end that neither the one party might be puffed up as the bestowers of good, nor the others on their hearing a second time, all things are yours, be again elated. For indeed, though it were for your sakes, yet the whole was God's doing. And I wish you to observe how he hath kept on throughout, making suppositions in his own name and that of Peter. But what is or death? that even though they die for your sakes, they die, encountering dangers for your salvation. Dost thou mark how he again takes down the high spirit of the disciples and raises the spirit of the teachers? In fact, he talks with them as with children of high birth, who have preceptors and who are to be heirs of all. We may also say, in another sense, that both the death of Adam was for our sakes, that we might be corrected, and the death of Christ, that we may be saved. And ye are Christ's, and Christ is God's. In one sense we are Christ's, and in another sense Christ is God's. And in a third sense the world ours, for we indeed are Christ's as his work. Christ is God's, as a genuine offspring, not as a work. In which sense neither is the world ours, so that though the saying is the same, yet the meaning is different. For the world is ours as being a thing made for our sakes. But Christ is God's as having him the author of his being, in that he is Father, and we are Christ's, as having been formed by him. Now if they are yours, saith he, why have ye done what is contrary to this, in calling yourselves after their name, and not after Christ and God? Chapter 4, verse 1. Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. After he had cast down their spirit, mark how again he refreshes it, saying as the ministers of Christ, Do not thou then, letting go the master, receive a name from the servants and ministers. Stewards, saith he, indicating that we ought not to give these things unto all, but unto whom it is due, and to whom it is fitting we should minister. Verse 2. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, that is, that he do not appropriate to himself his master's goods, that he do not, as a master, lay claim for himself, but a minister as a steward. For a steward's part is to administer well the things committed to his charge, not to say that his master's things are his own, 
but on the contrary, that his own are his master's. Let every one think on these things, both he that hath power in speech, and he that possesses wealth, namely, that he hath been entrusted with a master's goods, and that they are not his own. Let him not keep him with himself, nor set them down on his own account, but let him impute them unto God who gave them all. Wouldst thou see faithful stewards? Hear what saith Peter. Why look ye so earnestly on us, as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? Unto Cornelius also he saith, We also are men of like passions with you. And unto Christ himself, Lo, we have left all and followed thee. And Paul, no less, when he had said, I have labored more abundantly than they all, added, Yet not I, but the grace of God which was with me. Elsewhere also, setting himself strongly against the same persons, he said, For what hast thou which thou didst not receive? For thou hast nothing of thy own, neither wealth, nor speech, nor life itself. For this also is surely the Lord's. Wherefore, when necessity calls, do thou lay down this also. But if thou dotest on life, and being ordered to lay it down refusest, thou art no longer a faithful servant. And how is it possible when God calls to resist? Well, that is just what I say too. And on this very account do I chiefly admire the loving kindness of God, that the things which he is able, even against thy will, to take from thee, these he willeth not to be paid in by thee unwillingly, that thou mayest have a reward besides. For instance, he can take away life without thy consent, but his will is to do so with thy consent, that thou mayest say with Paul, I die daily. He can take away thy glory without thy consent, and bring thee low, but he will have it from thee with thine own good will, that thou mayest have a recompense. He can make thee poor, though unwilling, but he will have thee willing become such, that he may weave crowns for thee. Seest thou God's mercy to man? Seest thou our own brutish stupidity? What if thou art come to great dignity, and hast at any time obtained some office of church government? Be not high-minded, thou hast not acquired the glory, but God hath put it on thee, as if it were another's, therefore use it sparingly, neither abusing it, nor using it upon unsuitable things, nor puffed up, nor appropriating it unto thyself, but esteem thyself to be poor and inglorious. For never hast thou been entrusted with a king's purple to keep, never would it have become thee to abuse the robe and spoil it, but with the more exactness to keep it for the giver. Is utterance given thee, be not puffed up, be not arrogant, for the gracious gift is not thine. Be not grudging about thy master's goods, but distribute them among thy fellow servants, and neither be thou elated with these things, as if they were thy own, nor be sparing as to the distribution of them. Again, if thou hast children, they are gods which thou hast. If such be thy thought, thou wilt both be thankful for having them, and if bereft, thou wilt not take it hard. Such was Job when he said, 
the Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. For we have all things from Christ, both existence itself we have through him, and life and breadth and light and air and earth. And if he were to exclude from any one of these, we are lost and undone, for we are strangers and sojourners, and all this about mine and thine is bare words only, and doth not stand for things. For if thou do but say, The house is thine, it is a word without a reality, since the very air, earth, matter, are the creators, and so art thou too thyself, who hast framed it, and all other things, but supposing the use to be thine, even this is uncertain, not on account of death alone, but also before death, because of the instability of things. These things, then continually picturing to ourselves, let us live strict lives, that we shall gain two of the greatest advantages. For first, we shall be thankful both when we have and when we are bereaved, and we shall not be enslaved to things which are fleeting by, and things not our own. For whether it be wealth that he taketh, he hath taken but his own, or honor, or glory, or the body, or the life itself. Be it that he hath taken away thy son, it is not thy son that he hath taken, but his own servant. For thou formest him not, but he made him. Thou didst but minister to his appearing. The whole was God's own work. Let us give thanks, therefore, that we have been counted worthy to be his ministers in this matter. But what? Wouldst thou have had him forever? This again proves thee grudging and ignorant that it was another's child which thou hadst, and not thine own, as therefore those who part resignedly are but aware that they have what was not theirs. So whoever gives way to grief is in fact counting the king's property his own. For if we are not our own, how can they be ours? I say we, for in two ways we are his, both on account of our creation and also on account of the faith. Wherefore David saith, My substance is with thee, and Paul too, for in him we live and move and have our being. And plying the argument about the faith, he says, Ye are not your own, and ye are bought with a price, for all things are God's. When then he calls and chooses to take, let us not, like grudging servants, fly from the reckoning, nor purloin our master's goods. Thy soul is not thine, and how can thy wealth be thine? How is it then that thou spendest on what is unnecessary the things which are not thine? Knowest thou not that for this we are soon to be put on our trial, that is, if we have used them badly, but seeing that they are not ours, but our masters, it were right to expend them upon our fellow servants. It is worth considering that the omission of this was the charge brought against that rich man, and against those also who had not given food to the Lord. Say not then, I am spending mine own, and of mine own I live delicately. It is not of thine own, but of other men's, other men's, I say, because such is thine own choice. For God's will is that those things should be thine, which have been entrusted unto thee on behalf of thy brethren. 
Now the things which are not thine own become thine, if thou spend them upon others, and if thou spend on thyself unsparingly, thine own things become no longer thine. For since thou usest them cruelly, and sayest that mine own things should be altogether spent on mine own enjoyment, is fair. Therefore I call them not thine own, for they are common to thee and thy fellow servants, just as the sun is common, the air, the earth, and all the rest. For as in the case of the body, each ministration belongs both to the whole body and to each several member, and when it is applied to one single member only, it destroys the proper function of that very member. So also it comes to pass in the case of wealth, and that what I say may become plainer. The food of the body which is given in common to the members, should it pass unto one member, even to that it turns out alien in the end. For when it cannot be digested, nor afford nourishment, even to that part, I say, it turns out alien. But if it be made common, both that part and all the rest have it as their own. So also in regard of wealth, if you enjoy it alone, you have lost it, for you will not reap its reward. But if you possess it jointly with the rest, then will it be more your own, and then you will reap the benefit of it. Seest thou not that the hands minister, and the mouth softens, and the stomach receives? Doth the stomach say, Since I have received, I ought to keep it all? Then do not thou, I pray, in regard to riches, use this language, for it belongs to the receiver to impart. As then it is a vice in the stomach to retain their food, and not to distribute it, for it is injurious to the whole body, so it is a vice in those that are rich to keep to themselves what they have, for this destroys both themselves and others. Again, the eye receives all the light, but it doth not itself alone retain it, but enlightens the entire body, for it is not its nature to keep it to itself, so long as it is an eye. Again, the nostrils are sensible of perfume, but they do not keep it all to themselves, but transmit it to the brain, and affect the stomach with a sweet savor, and by their means refresh the entire man. The feet alone walk, but they move not away themselves only, but transfer also the whole body. In like manner do thou, whatsoever thou hast been entrusted withal, keep it not to thyself alone, since thou art doing harm to the whole, and to thyself more than all. And not in the case of the limbs only may one see this occurring, for the smith also, if he choose to impart of his craft to no one, ruins both himself and all the other crafts. Likewise the cordwainer, the husbandman, the baker, and every one of those who pursue any necessary calling, if he choose not to communicate to any one of the results of his art, will ruin not the others only, but himself also with them. And why do I say the rich? For the poor too, if they followed after the wickedness of you who are covetous and rich, would injure you very greatly, and soon make you poor. Yea, rather, they would quite destroy you, were they in your own want unwilling to impart of their own. The tiller of the ground, for instance, of the labor of his hands, the sailor of the gain from his voyages, the soldier of his distinction won in the wars. Wherefore, if nothing else can, yet let this at least put you to shame, 
and do you imitate their benevolence, dost thou impart none of thy wealth unto any, then shouldest thou not receive anything from another, in which case the world would be turned upside down, for in everything to give and receive is the principle of numerous blessings, in seeds, in scholars, in arts. For if any one desire to keep his art to himself, he subverts both himself and the whole course of things. And the husbandman, if he bury and keep the seeds in his house, will bring about a grievous famine. So also the rich man, if he act thus in regard of his wealth, will destroy himself, both the poor heaping up the fire of hell more grievous upon his own head. Therefore, as teachers, however many scholars they have, impart some of their love unto each. So let thy possession be, many to whom thou hast done good. And let all say, such in one he freed from poverty, such in one from dangers, such in one would have perished had he not, next to the grace of God, enjoyed thy patronage. This man's disease thou didst cure, another thou didst rid of false accusation, another being a stranger you took in, another being naked you clothed. Wealth inexhaustible and many treasures are not so good as such sayings. They draw all men's gaze more powerfully than your golden vestments in horses and slaves, and these make a man appear even odious. They cause him to be hated as a common foe, but the former proclaim him as a common father and benefactor, and what is greatest of all, favor from God waits on thee in every part of thy proceedings. What I mean is, let no man say, he helped to portion out my daughter. Another, he afforded my son the means of taking his station among men. Another, he made my calamity to cease. Another, he delivered me from dangers. Better than golden crowns are words such as these, that a man should have in his city innumerable persons to proclaim his beneficence. Voices such as these are pleasanter far and sweeter than the voices of the heralds marching before the Archians. To be called Savior, Benefactor, Defender, the very names of God, and not covetous, proud, insatiate, and mean. Let us not, I beseech you, let us not have a fancy for any of these titles, but the contrary. For if these, spoken on earth, make one so splendid and illustrious, when they are written in heaven, and God proclaims them on the day that shall come, think what renown, what splendor thou shall enjoy, which may it be the lot of us to all obtain, through the grace and loving kindness of our Lord Jesus Christ, with whom unto the Father and the Holy Spirit be glory, power, honor, now and always, and unto everlasting ages. Amen. End of homily 10.